And God's people say it. Amen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That, of course, is from Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2, where we're not going today. But I wanted to call your attention to the fact that Jesus Christ finished well. And that is the topic of the day. It is Senior Adult Day, and so I am going to preach to a very specific group of people today. Well, actually, two groups of people. I need to be totally candid. First off this. If you count yourself in the latter half of your life, if you were to say, yeah, I guess I'm a senior adult, I want to speak right into your heart, and I want to speak right into your life today. The second group of people I'd like to speak to today are the ones who hope to be a senior adult one day. Did you get that? If you are a senior adult or if you're planning on being a senior adult, those are the two groups I want to speak to. And you're about now going, Dwayne, I think that includes everybody. And I would look at your eye and say, exactly, exactly. So even though it's Senior Adult Day, this message is for every person here today, particularly those who call themselves Christ followers. Now, I need to tell you this, too, is that, you know, for a long time, I remember when I used to do marriage counseling, you know, and I've been married like 10 years. And I felt like, gosh, I don't have enough experience, you know. I feel like I'm trying to teach something I'm not, I don't really know yet. And guess what? It finally happened. June and I have been married 37 years. 37 years this summer. And I promise you a whole lot of people, you know, have not accomplished that. So finally I can sit down and look at these young couples and say, now listen. I got 37 years under my belt. I'm not some whippersnapper preacher fresh out of seminary. I have walked this road, and I've got some truths that I want to share you, not from a book, but from my life experience. And it's the same way I felt like today about preaching to our senior adults. You know, for so long, I was a young whippersnapper preacher, you know, and, and you know, I was telling the senior adults what they ought to do, and you're not one, so what do you know? Well, I are one. Okay? In fact, next year, I've already started spreading the rumor around, next year I'll be 60 years old. So that's important for you to know um, if you're a senior adult because some of the things I'm going to say to you today, you may want to push back from. But just remember, it's coming from a 60-year-old guy, not some 24-year-old pastor just out of seminary. It's coming from one of your peers that I really want us to look at today, take a hard look at God's Scripture. What should we do with our latter years? Now, I have to admit, I feel like I'm in the Netherlands. You know, I already figured it out. You guys that are like, like 65 and up, you look at me and go, you're still just a young whippersnapper preacher. So I, I can't, you don't want me. And then the young folks go, he's got gray hair, he's not one of ours too, so I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. Okay? So if you're like, like you know, 50 to 60, would you please stand with me today? I appreciate it very much, all right? Okay, so we want to look at today a story about a guy named Caleb. We'll be uh, preaching from Joshua chapter 14, verses 7 through 12. An incredible passage of Scripture about how to finish well or how to plan to finish well if you're one of the younger ones in our latter, latter years. Now, the background's kind of like this, real, because we're going to talk about it, but here's the, here's the background in a nutshell. The children of Israel were slaves. Jesus, or, well, God, Jesus, rescued them, took them into the wilderness, into the journey to the promised land. They get to the promised land. They decide, no, I don't think so. And so God says, not a problem. You'll just spend the next 40 years wandering around the wilderness till all you guys die, and we'll take the next generation and put you into the promised land. All except for... A couple of guys. And that's who we want to talk about today. 
those couple of guys who were so incredibly believing of God, and this guy's name is Caleb. Now, I titled the message, Legends and Legacies. Now, one of my brothers pointed out, and he's absolutely right, that legends usually is a story told over and over and over again until it's finally believed as truth. Okay? And frankly, that's the problem with us. We're our own legend spinners. We tell ourselves things about us that even though it's not true, we finally believe it. We say, I'm a great father. I'm a great father. I'm a great father. I'm a good husband. I'm a good husband. And your wife's saying, no, you're not. And your, and your kids are going, ain't no way, Dad. But we keep telling ourselves, we're, we're faithful. We're Christ followers. We're all this. But if we take a hard look at our life, it's a legend that speaks about a truth that doesn't exist. But we've come to believe it ourselves. I want to challenge you to hear the truth today. But the second kind of legend is a legend that I really want to sell to you. And that is this. It's, it's, a, it's a person so good at what he does that he becomes a standout. In other words, he was a baseball legend. He was a football legend. And it simply means this, that, that the, the person was so awesome that he'll always be remembered for what he did. And that's what I'm selling to you today, to become the kind of believer that you're a legend in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joshua chapter 14, verse number 7 is where we're going to start. I would read verses number 7 and 8, and we'll come back and talk through it. We have legendary courage. I don't use points much anymore, but I thought these were pretty good. Legendary courage. Here's what it says. Caleb is the speaker. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless... My brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord God. So so they've come to the promised land. And Moses chooses 12 guys. And they're to go in and spy out the land. Two of those that are legendary are Joshua and Caleb. Now notice it says that Caleb was 40 years old. Did we say 40 years Okay, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a young man. He wasn't an old man. He was kind of like in the prime of his life, in the middle of life. But let me tell you about those 40 years. With the exception of about, we'll go ahead and say a year, but probably eight months. With the exception of a year or eight months, Caleb grew up a slave. He spent his life, uh, the first 39 and a half years or, or 39 years, with a taskmaster and, and a whip at his back, ordering him and telling him to make bricks for Pharaoh, to do what Pharaoh wanted to do. That was his life. That was his existence. All he knew was be a slave. And then one day, a guy shows up named Moses, and through a series of plagues and miracles, finally Pharaoh says, Go! Leave my my land. Go! And the children of Israel were led out in glory from the nation of Egypt. So he was raised a slave and came to know the Jehovah God that sets men free. You, in that sense, are Caleb. So many of you here today, you once were, the Bible says, in bondage to sin. 
You, sin was your taskmaster. That's all you knew was being in bondage to sin. But one day you read the Bible. One day a person spoke to you. One day you heard a sermon. One day you read a revival message and a guy told you, a woman told you, your mom and dad told you, or, or God just spoke to your heart through his word. And you realize that, yes, you were in bondage to sin. But because of that, actually the Christ of that cross, that the payment for your sin was made. That God's wrath was poured out on Him. So God's wrath did not have to be poured out on you. That the wages of sin was death. And someone died that that wage could be paid. And it was Jesus Christ. And you came to the realization that you could be set free from the bondage of your sin. For me, it was about 37, 38 years ago on October 26, 1975. I was in bondage to religion. I was in bondage to, to trying to do it my way. To have a giant scale. I know I could prove God wrong. That I could be good enough and moral enough. And one day on Sunday morning, I finally realized I was never going to attain that goal. And Jesus set me free. Can I have an amen? And many of you here today have experienced that very truth. You once were in bondage, but now you are free. The second thing about Caleb, not only did he grow up a slave and Jehovah God set him free, but he personally witnessed the power of Almighty God. It was this God who, who not only freed them, but led them to the shores of the Red Sea. And he watched in wonder as miraculously that Moses held out his staff over the water and the water parted, just like this middle eye. The water parted and the children of Israel watched over, walked over not in muddy ground, not in moist ground, but on dry ground. He saw that. He saw when the people complained about being thirsty and that, and that God brought forth water. He saw that every day God sent manna. They could go out and get a couple of omers worth of full and come home and have food to eat every single day. He had personally experienced the power of God. And some of you have too. Many of you Christ followers have, have experienced the power of Almighty God. Yes, not only in salvation, but you know of miracles. This was happening and then it didn't. I was sick and now I'm not. I, I was this and now I'm this. And you experienced the power of God. So you're so much like Caleb today. And so he was chosen to go into the, will, into the promised land and they did. And, and the Bible says that they came back. And they took a vote. The score was 10 to 2. Everyone agreed. Guys, this is incredible land. It is incredible land. Look at the grapes. And the, the, the cluster of grapes was so big, they carried it on a pole between two guys. Truly, they said, all of them, all 12 said, truly, this is a magnificent land flowing with milk and honey. But when they took the vote, the vote was 10 to 2. And they took the vote in front of the people. Here was the problem. The ten people said, it is absolutely true that this is an incredible land flowing with milk and honey, but we can't take it. You see, there are giants in the land. In fact, they use this terminology. They said, we're like grasshoppers compared to these giants. There are large and fortified cities. Now, Caleb, the subject of our story, comes along and says... Absolutely true. There are giants in the land. He did not deny the problem. He didn't say, there are no giants. 
He said, it's absolutely true that there are fortified cities. He didn't say there are no fortified cities. He just simply said this. Yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there are fortified cities. But I know something that is bigger than the giants. I know something that is bigger than the fortified cities. And it is the God who brought us out of Egypt. It is the God who parted the Red Sea. It is the, part of who's been, the God who's been feeding us every single day. Our God is greater. Get up now. Let's go conquer the land because God is for us. You see, the ten maximized the problem and minimized God. The two maximized God and minimized the problem. If we could journey through life together, if we could come to the conclusion that our God is greater than anything we face, our life would change so dramatically. If we as a church would continue to learn that God is able, that God is powerful. Let's listen to Psalm 37. It says this. I'm sorry, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The psalmist says, let's make God big. And you know why? Because he is. He is. Why we want to take our God and put him in a box is beyond me. Why have we got the mindset of the ten that says, we can't do that. It's never been done before. We can't do that. It's impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. You see, the Bible says in Numbers 14, this is where it's all happening. We're flashing back now. Here's what God's word says about Caleb. My servant Caleb, because... He has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully. I will bring to the land. Caleb had a different spirit. His spirit was, I believe God. Joshua's spirit, I believe God. May I challenge us today as pastor, as your minister, as your leader, that in your life, that you finally get the mentality, that we get the mentality, that if God wants something done, nothing is impossible. I mean, I don't care how many giants, I don't care how many fortified cities, if you're facing difficulties in your marriage, if you're facing difficulties in your, with your children, if you're facing difficulties with your job or with your staff, with the staff that you work with, you know, we are with your boss. God is greater than all of that. Amen? Believe, oh, come on now. See, y'all thought I was going to preach short because I was leaving. Uh-uh. I've been looking forward to today. I, I, I could have taken a vacation Sunday and been gone today. I want to be with you and preach this message. Because I think it's God's word for us today. Make your God big. Dare you. Challenge you. Let God be big in your life. Caleb did. And then we had this legendary stamina. He says this. And now behold. The Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. And yet I am strong. I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me as a spy. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. 
both for going out and coming in. I really want to capitalize on these words. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. Now, you've got to get this picture. I told you, by the way, here's you Bible scholars. Here's something for you to chew on. It may have been the translation I used, I don't know. When they talk about only two going in, it says, there will be no exceptions but two, Caleb and Joshua. And I wonder if Moses would stand back there going, what about me? And as you know, Moses later on was going to disobey God, and he didn't make it. God knew Moses didn't know about himself yet. Even he wasn't going in. So, so for 45 years, say 45 years, that, that's half a century. For 45 years, you know what Caleb did? He went to the funeral home. He would get up every morning, read the obituaries and say, so-and-so died, so-and-so died. Every one of his friends besides Joshua that was over 20 years old, he watched him die. God had said, 20 years and over, every one of you are going to die. You will not enter the promised land. So for 45 years, he watched funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral. He watched his friends die. Perhaps some of his family die. But he didn't. He was kept alive. And it was God who kept him alive. Now let me tell you a story, folks. I don't care, Max, if you count yourself in our gray-haired pot or not. I don't know if you're 25 years old. I don't know if you're 14 years old. I don't know if you're, I think Lillian Panky's our oldest member. She's well into her 90s. I don't care where you fall. God is the one who's keeping you alive. I've often heard it said that if God didn't have a purpose and a reason for us remaining, He would take us home as soon as we were saved to glory with Him. But God kept Caleb alive because he had a date with destiny. He was going in to claim the land. Why? Because God said so. Every one of you today, you have a destiny. You have a date with destiny. And every day you wake up, may I say with confidence, if you are a Christ follower today, every day you wake up, you can say these words. I'm alive today because God has a purpose for me. I'm alive today because God has a purpose for me. And just like Caleb said, the Lord has kept me alive. You can say, God is keeping me alive. If you're his child today, he saved you for a purpose. And I think the purpose for Caleb, yes, was to go in and claim the land, but was to declare and to solidify the faithfulness of God. When God says something, it's as good as done. That's true for judgment. It's also true for reward. When God says something, it's as good as done. So day after day, he watched his friends die. But back to Numbers fourteen twenty four again. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into this land. Caleb was immune to death because God had said, Caleb, you're going in. Now listen, I know some of y'all think, but what if Satan strikes him with cancer? What if, what if Satan has a truck pull out? Where is your God? 
Do you all of a sudden believe that Satan is more powerful than your God? Have you so elevated the power of Satan that he's somehow greater than your God? He's not. In the book of James, the Bible says that the demons and believe and tremble. They tremble at the power and the holiness of God. You don't have to wake up and say, what if? You don't have to wake up and say, what if? Your God is sovereign. He has a purpose. He's working out in your life. God is faithful. God is good, as we said in Elijah. And God can be trusted. So Caleb was kept alive by God. I look at it and go, Caleb, 85 years old. Did you know that God really started using Moses when he was 80 years old? And these are times when... These are times when folks were living quite as long as they used to back in the days of centuries. They were more like us. And yet God started using these adults in their later and later years. So we, 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 God has not left us here to waste, but to win. Every day, again, if you're 75, if you're, if you're 60, if you're 85, if you're 24. The Bible says this in, in Psalm 90. Moses wrote this and said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we might have a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us to appreciate. Lord, teach us to know that every day you give us is a day that you have a purpose. Give us a heart of wisdom to know why. Are you ready? I'm still here. I promise you, God's not left you here to build your 401k. God's not left you here so you can amass a bunch of stuff. I'm sorry. There's nothing wrong with stuff. And I have a 401k, I think. I've got something. But I'm telling you, God is not leaving you here. Whether you're 24 or 85, he's not leaving you here just to exist and just to amass stuff. He has a reason and he has a purpose. Listen to these words. This is from the book of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, since you walk wisely, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Redeeming the time, using the time that God has given us here. Now, to a lost person, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, you don't have a clue what I'm talking about when I talk about the sovereignty of God. All this is over your head. I understand but to Christ followers, to the ones who agreed to the agreement. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The one who signed the contract that said, I am destined to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. I am because of my relationship with Jesus. I'm not a fan. I'm a follower to you. Paul writes, redeem the time. Make the most of the time. Oh, yeah. How, how do you know, we were kids. We waste away months, wish away months saying, come on, Christmas. We we would we would wish away time when our kids were little and say, oh, when they're, they're potty trained, I can sell my pamper stock. We wish away the days and then they became teenagers and we said, oh, I wish they'd hurry up and grow up. And then when they grew up, we were wish away days saying, I wish they would leave. And not come back. We wish away time. Paul says, no. Every day is a gift. 
Redeem those days. Make every day count. Whether you're at work or whether you're at school, whether you're at home, whether at the nursing home, wherever you are, redeem every single day. Then he goes on. He says these words. And yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for going out and going in. Now, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure some of that was actual, but I wonder how much was attitude. I mean, I, I honestly believe the, the word where it says that for his age, kind of like Adrian Reister. You know, Adrian's like 84 years old, and that man can outwork me. I mean, I'm sure he was in incredible shape for his age of 85. But you know what a big factor was? His attitude. Now, see, I have a complex that y'all don't have. And you said, Pastor, we figured it out about 10 years ago. Here's the deal. Unlike probably some of you, and I'm not talking about an accident, when I was like, when I was 20 years old, And my dad was 62. My dad died. Died of a heart attack. Some of it was he smoked and some of it was those rotten Taylor jeans that I got a single suspicion I got. And then just a few years later, in 1978, so I was was 24 years old. My mom dies. And, And yes, she smoked. But she's eaten up with cancer. I just got a stinking suspicion I got some of those genes. So you can imagine, here I am looking 60 in the eye, and somewhere in my brain I'm going, 62 and 62. Hmm. I wonder. And you know what? If we're not careful, we can attitude ourselves into a grave. We can attitude ourselves into a nursing home. We can attitude ourselves to a recliner chair sitting there saying, I can't do anything. Again, if you're a Christ follower, God has left you here for a reason and for a purpose, and nothing will stymie His reason and purpose if He has one for you, and He does. Amen? It's so important, guys. As the years progress, we must be careful that we don't think ourselves done. We must think ourselves purposeful until one day He does, in fact, call me home. And when He calls me home or you home... It will be by his hand and not Satan's. Not Satan's. Not Satan's. So now we're going to look back at verse number 9 and then grab verse number 12. Legendary legacy. Moses, Caleb speaking, Moses swore on that day saying... Surely the land where your foot has trodden, the place where you actually walked when you were a spy... Where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb, there's going to be a legacy for you. And surely, because I said so, you're going to live to be at least 85 years old. And you live beyond that. You're going to live to be 85 years old. And your feet are going to trod where those have. And not only for you. But for your children. You see, Caleb, your obedience when you are 40 is going to have a residual effect for you and for your children. You are going to get to go into the promised land and your children will live and inherit this land 
forever. How powerful is that? You know what legacy is? Legacy is what's left of you after you're gone. Legacy is what's left of you after you're gone. There's a financial legacy. There's a family heritage legacy. But there is a spiritual legacy. And, and Caleb, because he wholly followed the, the Lord God, was allowed to go in the promised land. And they inherited that chunk of the promised land. Not for a while, but forever. Let me ask you a question. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? What kind of, what is going to be left of you when you're gone? I'll put it another way for you. Make it easier. Every person here is writing a story. Now listen, every person, saved or lost, Christ follower or not, you're writing a story. What will your story say when you're gone? Ten days after your funeral... When the fried chicken and potato salad has been digested, the flowers are dying on your grave, what's your story? When Christmas rolls around, the first Christmas after you're gone, and they think about you, what's the story going to say? Dad wouldn't have been here anyway. He was busy doing something else. Uh, yeah, you remember that Christmas when Dad came home drunk? Man, it sure spoiled everything. What's the story going to tell the first summer without you? What's the story going to tell when you should have been home at five and you're still at the office trying to make money? What's your legacy? What's your story going to tell? You're writing a story. You're writing a story. You're writing a story. And you are writing a story. What is that story going to say on that day? For, For Caleb... It was an incredible story of faithfulness. If I can get this out right, if, when we, if you look back earlier in the chapter for, for Caleb's introduction, it was Caleb, the son of Jephna, and I'm not saying it right, Jephna, the son of or the Kenite. You know what the Kenites were? They weren't in the original, you know, when they were, they were in Abraham's time, they were proselytes. He was not a direct descendant of Abraham. He was proselyted in. And his family has a record of following God. See, you may come from a a family where there was no God. And you feel like you're scarred somehow. You're you're a victim. I remind you of Timothy, who had a Greek daddy and, and a Jewish mama. And Timothy became this incredible follower. Listen, the past does not have to scar your future. Just because you're sitting there and saying, yeah, but I didn't have a Christian home. I didn't. Do you understand? The day you trusted Jesus Christ, you got a new daddy. You were born again. And you start writing your story. And it's a story that can end well every single time as we trust God. As we serve God. As we fulfill God's purpose for our lives. So it goes something like this. Verse 12. He now says to, jo- to Joshua, Now therefore give me this mountain. Talking about the land. Give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim, the giants, were there. And that the cities were great. They were fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I will be able to drive them out as the Lord said. 
He says, the time has come. Yes, I'm 85 years old. But I want that mountain. I am fully cognizant that the giants are still there. I am fully aware that the fortified cities have not been destroyed. But it just might be. And that's not a statement of doubt. It just might be that God will be with me and I will drive them out. It was this. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Your favorite verse. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What an incredible story. 85 years old. And he charges off into war. So if you're planning on being a senior adult today, would you start planning now to write a great story? Would you start now preparing that legacy? Would you start now waking up every day saying, what's my purpose? God, why am I here today? If you count yourself as a senior adult, did you know if you've got a bad story, you can write a new story starting today? Even though you're a senior adult, now all the consequences won't disappear. But today you can start a new... And the last chapter of your life, the first 20 chapters may be garbage. But today you can start writing a new chapter. And how many times have you heard a book of, of bad, 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 and all of a sudden the last chapter, the hero wins. With Christ, that can happen in your life. How incredible. And senior adults, remember I'm one... Got the gray hair to prove it and the birth certificate. I've got mine. I can resist. You'll think about that later on. Hear me. We need you. We need about five grandmas. And I'm not talking 80 year old grandmas, I'm talking that kind of grandma. 54 year old Judy grandmas. And the older ones too. We need grandmas. Who'll love our babies in the nursery and preschool department. We need some of you men who are 55 and 60 years old. Some of you are. But we need some men who'll be 55 and 60 years old and stand up and be mentors, teachers, servants in the house of God. And, and, and if today, if you walk with a cane, God's not done with you. One of my favorite people is Marquita Clore. She's got a, man, you all see her, she's got a CDL for her walker. I told her today, ask her after church. I said, you're just going all over the place with that thing. If there's ever a woman who said, I ain't going to church. My body hurts. It hurts to get dressed. She gets dressed almost every Sunday. Yellow, by the way, is her favorite color. She gets that walker and goes back and teaches those pink disciples, helps teach the pink disciple ladies who are needing a strong mentor. She ain't done. She ain't done. Her husband, Frank. Frank, there are three men, Doug, Frank, and Ben, who mentored me as a young... I didn't go up and say, would you mentor me? But they guided me through some minefields in my ministry. And Frank was one of those people I said, he'll never grow old. Frank walks with a cane, and frankly, he walks like this. He's got every reason to stay home. He's still an active deacon. 
He don't know when to quit. You know why? Because quitting means dying. He still wants to serve God. And my challenge is, for every one of us, be purposeful in your life. Be purposeful in your day-by-day living. Because God has a purpose for you. Finish well. Go on. Go out with your boots on. Go out. We were talking about Linda. Where's Linda? I know she's here. Linda. You know, MS has stolen her body. But she can still pray and does. And it's been easy for her to go, not today. The only thing that keeps that woman home is illness and weather. That's it. And if we get her snow tires for a wheelchair, she'd probably come in the snow. Amen? Now, I want to close with a story about finishing well. About going out with your boots on. I saw the video. This is a summary of the video and the book and a man's take on it. In his excellent book, Don't Waste Your Life, John Piper tells about Ruby Ellison and Laura Edwards, who died in April. And by the way, did you put that picture up, please? The one I told you about. In April 2000, in Cameroon, West Africa. This is where, I'm fixing to tell you, this is where it happened. Ruby was over 80, had been single all her life, and had spent her life making Jesus known among the unreached, poor, and sick. Laura was a widow, a medical doctor, pushing 80, who served with Ruby in Cameroon. Their brakes failed right here. The car went off a cliff, and they both were killed instantly. Piper asked, was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Jesus Christ even two decades after most of their American counterparts have retired to throw away their lives on trifles. He answers, no, that is not a tragedy. That is glory. These lives were not wasted, and these lives were not lost, because the Bible says in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. He continues, I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider a story from the February 1998 edition of Reader's Digest, which tells about a couple who took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Puta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. When Piper first read that, he thought it was a joke, a spoof on the American dream. But it wasn't. Rather, this was the dream. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let your last great work of your life, before you give an account to your Creator, be this. Playing softball and collecting shells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, here are my shelves. Piper concludes, that is a tragedy. He rightly urges, don't buy it, that version of the American dream. Don't waste your life. That is my challenge to you. Someone said, Pastor, do you plan on retiring? Well, I know one of two things is going to happen. Either God's going to call me away from Dorsville, 
Or y'all going to finally wake up one day and say, you are way too old for this job. You need to go get another one. I know that. But I'm asking God to let me preach, and if he wills, pastor. Somewhere, it may be a church of 12 people. I don't know. It may be in Africa. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you from my heart, I'm asking God to let me serve him until I die. And that's not pat me on the back. I'm just telling you that's where I am. No, I don't plan on retiring. I know I'll need some supplement income, and we're trying to prepare for that. But I'm praying God will use me. That I might go, on, go out with my boots on. And that's my challenge to us. I want, I want every person here to go out with your boots on. And frankly, I want Dorisville to be that kind of church too. We will hopefully will have an end. And that end hopefully will be the day of the rapture. And the, the true church will be called out. But I pray that church, this church be known as a church that served God and went out with his boots on. Amen? Amen. Would you join me in prayer, please? God, I can't tell you what an incredible privilege it has been me to be here today. I do not know what six hours of driving holds, and I don't know what tonight holds, but, Father, today was my high privilege. Thank you. Father, For I want to pray first for the young people. I want to pray, Father, the ones that are still in their... Uh, child raising years for our students God that they'll plan now to finish well that their story and their legacy will be one of a lifetime of serving God and for us Father we who are in the last maybe 60 or 70% of our life maybe we're just in that last part with, with more sunsets behind us than before us may we be found faithful May we be found faithful. Our ministries may change. Our abilities may change. But may we wake up every single day knowing that you have a purpose for us. And may our heart be to fulfill that purpose. Jesus, and I pray this in your most precious name. Amen.